All right. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. How are you doing? It's one of those mornings you have to do a little bit of a, a pulse check and make sure everybody's all right. Uh, if, you, if you're new or we haven't met yet, my name is Pastor Charlie, and I'm blessed to serve as one of the pastors here on staff at West Cabarrus. And uh, it's my privilege to have the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, I want to take a special notice just for two seconds. We had a group of students take off for the weekend for a prayer retreat, and they've been away uh, this week uh, just spending time learning and trying to understand how to grow in their life of prayer. And yet, got up this morning, uh, I'm going to say Oh Dark 100 was probably about the time, in uh, Asheville this morning, uh, where the retreat was, and drove in for, sorry about that, second service. So anyway, uh, students are sitting over here. Y'all give them a hand. It's good to have them sitting here together this morning. I'm glad they're here. Uh, but this morning, I'm excited. If you will, grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 13 this morning. And we're going to start and just kind of talk about something here this morning that I'm sure is just going to get you so excited. Like, you're, you're, some of y'all are going to go extra Baptist in a minute and like yell, like, Woo! That kind of thing. But we're going to talk about waiting. There it is. That's the one. All right? But, you know, I, I don't know about you, but this whole thing of waiting, uh, waiting is not something we tend to do well as a culture and a people. Would you agree with me? Like, you know, like, all right, I'm spoiled. American guy. Showed up last night to a restaurant with a couple of my sons, and we went in to get... Uh, to wait and go in and ask, hey, how long before table is available? They said 45 minutes. I'm like, there's another few options in Concord. We'll may go check that out, right? And it's just like waiting. What, what is that? We're always waiting for what? The next thing. What's coming? An answer. You know, waiting for trying to understand how long will this season of life last? If you're younger, you know, you could be looking and going, what does it mean? Will I ever find someone to spend my life with? Will a relationship come along? Others, you've had a job interview recently or something, and you're waiting for an answer. Or it might be something as difficult as there's been a concern and you've had to go to the doctor and you're waiting to hear the results and your mind is racing of all the potential things that could be and you're waiting. Or it could be that you've been waiting on the Lord and you've been going, God, I need to know direction, where to go, what to do. And you're like, ah, God, I'm not hearing anything. What do we do? We, and so the whole thing of waiting is just something that we are just like, oh, how do we do this? You know, we're used to picking up our phone and going, hey, how long is it to get to such and such city, right? Because we're just used to getting those quick answers. Well, this morning, we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13 this morning. And we're, we're going to pick up with Saul, and he's looking to lead the army of Israel into a battle. And we'll make connections kind of back to this waiting on the Lord and kind of our own lives here in a bit. But I think what we're going to find here is that waiting on the Lord is not only not easy, but it's something that's necessary if we want to truly honor the Lord and walk with him. And so to get our time started, though, uh, I want us to take a fast look at 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 8. You're welcome to turn there or I can read it to you. Uh, and we're going to see just real quickly here, there are clear instructions that Saul has been given from the prophet Samuel. And you'll remember as we've been going through this series that Saul is the first king of Israel. 
that uh, because the people said, hey, we want a king like all the other kingdoms and cultures around us. We, are, we want a human king. We're not just interested in following God. And at the same time, you have the prophet Samuel that we've talked about. And when he speaks and gives instruction, it is as if it is coming directly from God himself. So 1 Samuel 10 verse 8, though, says this. Then go down before me to Gilgal, Samuel says to Saul, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. All right? Now, just kind of put a pin there. Hang on to that verse. We'll get back to it in about 10 to 15 minutes here, okay? Now flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to read our text for today, beginning in verse 2 and through verse 15. Listen, hear what the word of the Lord says to us this morning. It says, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth -Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For, when the Lord would for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose, went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you for your awesome word. And Father, we come to this time of 
opening your word, and Lord, we recognize that we need you to have rightful understanding and interpretation. Father, we ask that you would give us clear understanding. Would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Father, forgive us where, uh, Lord, we need forgiveness and do work in us where, uh, God, we need strengthening. We love you. Speak to us now in this time we pray. Amen. All right. Now, for the next few minutes, I want to walk us through this passage, if you will, and it just kind of gives some explanation to what we've read and what's going on in, our, in the scene here, and then we'll come to the place where we'll make some application as we get a little further down. In verses 2 through 7, we find that Saul chose 3,000 men. Now, he took 2,000 of his own and went to a village area called Michmash, and uh, he sent 1,000 with Jonathan to fight at Gibeah. Now, these battles are happening because the elders in Israel were, one of the reasons they wanted a human king was because they wanted conquest of area uh, nations and so forth, and they were waiting on God, like, hey, do we go, do we not go, whatever. And so this is like a going to battle was something that kings did. And one of the first moves was to take out the Philistine Administrative Center at Geba. It was about three miles outside Israel's capital. Jonathan and his thousand soldiers quickly go and just defeat the Philistines there. And the battle is over. Just, it's almost like they just run through and sweep the place. And based on the actions that we read in Scripture, the reactions of the Israelites, they are like, hey, somebody blow the trumpet. Man, game on. We are winning. Like, this is, let's go. The overconfidence is kicking in. And the Philistines uh, have a little bit different response. If you look in verse 4, it notes that the Israelites, it says, had become a stench or a stinky smell, if you will, to the Philistines. In case you're wondering, that's Old Testament language for they had just poked the bear. Like, Philistines are like ticked. Like, it's like, okay, game on, y'all. Watch this. And so Philistines assemble an army with not just 3,000 men, just 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and enough troops, Scripture says, that it look, they look like the sand on the beach. Now, Philistines go, and they encamp right there at Michmash, where, the area where Saul is. And this is probably just a retaliation move at this point. It's a show of force, like, hey, bro, we ain't scared. Like, let's go. Y'all want to fight? Game on. All right? And so now the Israelite army now realizes that they are in a heap of trouble here as the enemy is pressing in hard on them. That pressing in, it just means they're getting in tight. And it's getting uncomfortable, like, man, we're about to go to war. And so the geography rather, of this area is, you know, you may read Old Testament scriptures, and I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like trying to piece together what did it look like. Was it a, a field, rolling hills and mountains, beautiful meadows and whatnot? And what you'll see in, in this image that's coming up is the geography was mountainous. It had cliffs. There was a village that sat kind of up on the top, valley down through the bottom, uh, you know, stones. It was a very rough, treacherous terrain. Uh, a chief kind of roadway, if you will, for supplies and so forth was kind of running along the top of the bridge or the top of the ridge there. And so even looking at this scenario, if you will, imagine just for a second, you've got if that is the village kind of sitting on top of the hill, that you've got the Israelite army sitting there, and now the Philistines have rolled in into these hills with their numbers. And it would make sense, looking at this image, why it would say 
the army look like even the sands on the seashore, doesn't it? Just kind of the blending of the terrain, and you put multiple thousand army troops there. And what we find, even in looking at the imagery, is that there is a, if you will, an anxiety that's going to press in. Like when we read on and Israel is, the people of Israel are like, all right, what are we going to do? Like the situation, the, even just the physical presence of people. Like how are we going to overcome this? Like this battle is going to be too much. And so I wonder, you know, for an instant, what, what might be your response? What would, what would you do? You know, my, my reaction is, okay, first, uh, all right, who's in charge? All right, Saul, you're in charge. Uh, first of all, what you got that's going to protect us? We're, we're going to need some protection here. And next, we're going to need a plan. How are we going to work through what's ahead of us? And so, keeps going, but what we find is the people of Israel became so fearful that in verse 6, it tells us they hid themselves in these different places. And you can now picture, as you've even seen that image, they hid themselves in holes Caves, rocks, tombs, and cisterns. Essentially, anything that could get between them and the people that were prepared to kill them now. And it says some even crossed the Jordan River. Now, here's why that matters. The people of Israel have been given this land, what was referred to in Scripture as the promised land. When you cross the Jordan River, you're saying, I'm good, y'all can have the promised land. We gone. In other words... The situation was such that they were fleeing and running from everything. What's the exit point? How do I stay alive? Saul, though, during the course of these seven days, remains at the village of Gilgal. And there were still people with him. But it says they followed him with trembling and with fear. Suffice to say, they were scared and looking for a way out. Now, we need to pause here for a moment and just kind of recognize the big picture of how it is that God may be working here. It's a tendency when we read scripture like this and narratives like this that we instantly are looking for, hey, what's the application? Or how do I read myself into the scripture? You know, what, what goes on? Where do I run? And I just want to encourage you, when you read a passage of scripture, first take, ask a couple of questions. One is, what is it that I can learn about God from this? What is, what is God revealing about himself? And second of all, what is it that God's trying to accomplish? What is it that he's after in doing with this people? And when we kind of take a a step back, what I see is that God is essentially putting the people of Israel in a place going, hey, not too long ago you asked for a king. I gave you a king. But let's just be understanding of this. That king's not going to save you. So I'm going to set up a situation right here where it's going to be more than you can handle. And we're going to find out whether or not you're going to obey and wait on me or not. What are you going to do? And so the knee-jerk response of the people we begin to see, though, is they begin to fear and run. And so Saul is waiting at this place called Gilgal. And he's waiting specifically, it says, for Samuel. And what we'll see here is as he's waiting, though, we're going to learn his motivations because he is hoping that, man, God, we've got no help here. You're, hopefully you're going to bail us out. You're going to take care of us. And you're going to either protect us or you're going to allow us to win a battle that we just don't deserve. And let's remember, the people of Israel have a history. There's a history that brought them to this place of knowing how God moves. God brought them to this place. And yet how quickly they are to run. How quickly we even see Saul's struggle to wait on the Lord. 
And so our first point, and we'll get to this in a moment, but you can go ahead and have the first point is waiting on the Lord requires total surrender. A total surrender. To Saul's credit, he waited seven days, the scripture said, to obey Samuel's instructions because he knew that Israel uh, needed the Lord. Now, can, I don't know about you, but can you empathize a little bit here with Saul and the position he's in? Like, have you ever been in the spot where, hey, the situation is bigger than you know how to handle? Or there's something coming and it's bigger. It's out of your hands. You don't know what to do. And along the way, things are getting fearful. People are wondering, how are we going to pay the bills? What, how am I going to survive this? What, how's this going to work out? Like, there's a multitude of scenarios that can play into this. And yet, as we watch, though... The optimism that was at the beginning, remember, they go and take out the first little village, now is all of a sudden gone. And now we're going, what do we do? And you see, if you're in the position of Saul, the problem is you have no way to dodge the situation or responsibility that now you have to lead and walk through. You're living in moments, hours, or even days of anticipation and stress. Fear is growing as your assumptions of positive outcome diminish. The way you want it doesn't seem like it may be possible. And you're praying to God, oh God, what are you doing? How Will you not work? Will you not provide? And you've come to the place where you have nowhere else to turn but to the Lord and to wait on him. Saul is watching the time tick and move as his army continues to thin out, flee, run away. The seventh day comes, and now Samuel has not arrived. Days one through six, you know, those are kind of one thing, but now you get to day seven, the clock's ticking. What do we do? Where do we go? Look at verse nine, if you will, just to kind of recenter us on the, on the passage. It says, so Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Here's something interesting. Sacrifices of burnt offerings and so forth were offered typically twice a day, morning and evening. Why is that important? Samuel could have come at any point during the part of the day and still offered the sacrifice. We don't know if this was the first sacrifice or whatever, but what we do know is that Saul looks in and goes, he's not coming and we need God. We're going to have to do something. So here. I'll bring it upon myself, I'll act as the priest, and I'll offer the burnt offering. But instantly what he does here, though, by invading the priest's office to offer the sacrifice, Saul revealed his own unfitness for the office of king. And so when Samuel arrives, there's no small talk greeting or anything that we're given from Scripture, but there's the instant question that I would imagine doesn't come out with just, oh, what you got going there? But with the strong, what have you done? That, that whole scenario that may have plays out in your mind when you hear, when you've responded to someone, realizing that they have made a life-changing, legacy-changing mistake, and you're like, what have you just done? And Saul becomes defensive. He blames others for his disobedience in verse 11, saying, soldiers were scattering. Samuel, you're late. The enemy's right here. We have nothing to do. In other words, I had to do something because God wasn't showing up and neither were you. And if I didn't act, then we were all dead. And yet, in the middle of all this narrative that I'm talking to, here's the, one of the main points I want you to hear right here. And that is this. The precise point to which God leans into our hearts to filter you and I 
before our very own eyes as to whether or not we are going to wait on him when the battle gets the thickest, when the tension gets the strongest, when the anxiety picks up the most. It's not days one through six of the waiting. It's when things get down to the end. And when the temptation, and it's all going, looks like it's all coming apart and there's no hope whatsoever, here's the ultimate question that God's answering, or asking rather to you and I, even sitting here this morning, is will you wait on me? Will you serve me? Am I, do you believe that I'm enough? Because sitting here, often many of us might go, yes, I believe the Lord is enough. But what does the Lord often have to do? He has to test us. He has to teach us and go, are you totally surrendered? Are you going, you know what, Lord, whatever the outcome, whatever the will, I'm leaving that in your hands. And so this waiting on the Lord requires that we be totally surrendered. And can we just recognize that's not easy? Everybody agree with that? Or most of us anyway? Waiting on the Lord's not easy. Waiting on the Lord's timing. You know, whatever the scenario, but if you've been praying for a long time for God to give you direction and you feel like, Lord, I'm trusting you, whether it's a job, it's a direction for family, whatever that may be. And yet in the middle of that, you're waiting and you feel like you're not hearing from the Lord. It's easy to start to move or make additions, try different things. And yet just to be patient, to know that he's God and to go, Lord... I need you to be clear. I need you to speak through your word. I need you to tell me. That surrender is so tough. Especially when you don't know if the outcome is going to be positive. And then, let's just say, there's not a positive earthly outcome that we point to. And the Lord is also testing us in a very tough time sometimes to go, will you be faithful to me if I don't give you what you want? And folks, there may not be a greater filter or test of our faith than knowing whether or not our heart is set on the things of God and the things of eternity or if we're doing what Saul is doing right here. And that's this. Saul was waiting on the Lord conditionally. And it's revealed here that he wasn't just, he was not in surrender because he was waiting on God, listen close, to gain the benefits that God offered and not his character. And as we'll see here in a few minutes, but we'll get there quick. God is a very perfect judge of the intentions of our heart. And he knows whether or not we participate in religious activity, church attendance, whatever we're doing. He is the perfect filter that looks directly at the heart and knows whether or not we are completely surrendered to him. Second thing we see, though, as we keep going through this is the Lord requires, waiting on the Lord requires obedience. Samuel arrives to Saul, uh, when he arrives rather, he gives his whole reasoning for why he couldn't wait, Saul couldn't wait any longer, an excuse that in his mind made complete sense, but there was a problem, he did not obey what Samuel, who was God's messenger, specifically told him. And Samuel tells Saul that he has disobeyed the Lord, verse 13, he says, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. You might hear this and be like, man, what was Saul thinking? Like, come on, man, this is it's pretty obvious. You've got the history of you saw God win battles, right? Anybody else feel that temptation? Like, hey, if only I could have seen God 
If only God would reveal himself like in miraculous ways, then I could believe in him. We're talking about an entire nation of people. They have witnessed God firsthand give them miracle over miracle, victory over victory that did not make human sense. And yet the temptation is still to pull back. It's still to go, it's got to be this way. Or we've got, if God's not going to move, we've got to. And it's ironic and symptomatic of Saul's condition and maybe even some of our own that he believed the Lord's favor could be obtained through an act of disobedience. He was ultimately looking to use religious practice to bring about a favorable outcome. Man, God sees right through this. He knows the heart of obedience. Parents, you'll know this. There, is, there are three things that go into making obedience work, right? Completeness, timing, and attitude. All right? Obedience isn't something you do partially. It, it's got three things in it. Or, as uh, we said in my house at times, it means to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Like, that's how obedience flows. And so we come to Saul here, and here, here's the question, because it, could, it would be very easy for us to go, wait a minute though, but didn't he pretty much obey God, and you would be exactly right in that wording. It's in the pretty much though that he disobeyed. And obedience is either 100% or nothing. What can we learn? That in waiting in the Lord, waiting on the Lord, it requires our obedience. You can tell a good bit about your walk with the Lord based on how you fear the Lord. Did you know that? Because guess what? You and I are going to obey the ones that we fear. And the reality might be we fear ourselves and the loss of control more than we fear God. And so we see fear rise up and obedience move in our hearts. So Samuel gives Saul the rest of the story though. It's a very sad version. And I wonder, you know, it might be even something that God moves and tests in our own lives. But in the end of verse 13 through 14, we see two consequences of Saul's disobedience. First one was, he said, the Lord was not going to bless Saul's dynasty. In other words, hey, Saul, your kingship, your kingdom, it's done right here. It stops with you. Had you obeyed in this moment, boy, you talk about something that where obedience matters. Man, learn this quick, church family. But where obedience matters is to obey God all the way. Because he said God was going to establish his kingdom forever from this point. Fast piece of application. How we wait on the Lord, young or old, listen to me. How you wait on the Lord will affect the faith of the generations that come behind you. You can say all day, wait on the Lord. Hey, be faithful. Be, do this. But can I just tell you, how you practice and live that out, people are going to watch and recognize. And I can tell you that that is what gets passed down generationally. is how you obey and walk with the Lord. The second thing that happened was the Lord is now seeking out a new leader. He says, I see your heart. Saul, I see that you were, you were using me. And I know what your heart really wanted. You wanted my stuff. You wanted my victory. But your heart wasn't in it. And so this next consequence is your kingdom's done. Like, I'm going after a new king now. And three chapters later, we have David being selected and put there. Easy application right there. It may sound like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean God's not giving any grace? Like, great, I can't be perfect. So when I blow it, he's just going to go, well, you didn't serve me with your whole heart. No, 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 no. Watch this. 
See, the application is there is grace and mercy for you and I's mistakes. But the Lord knows and judges based on who our heart is seeking after. See, that's the beauty of the Lord is he can sift between the desires of our hearts and know what we are seeking after. The Lord's purpose, though, don't miss it, is in testing of Saul and us. It's right when the tensions hit their peak that our hearts reveal the reality, whether they will wait on the Lord or not. What's your track record? How are you doing when when the tensions get high? How are you at waiting on the Lord? If you're like me, it's a struggle bus. I mean, it is just tough. The intention of the heart is to go, Lord, I will wait on you. I will be patient. God, I want your goodness. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do everything that I know how. Lord, help me. I'm trying to obey. But there's a track record of times that I miss the mark. And yet there's the mercy and grace of the Lord that says, yeah, but I, I see your heart right here. Lord knows the intentions. And I want to just exhort and encourage each of us this morning to be a people that hold fast and obey. In a culture and society and even a growing somewhat American church culture that has a a bend towards kind of this flexibility that doesn't say hold fast so much, but it gives an ability to even look like the world at times. And I would tell you, it's so important that we reveal that we hold fast, fear the Lord, and obey Him. May it be that we are marked by this. And personally, I believe that this lack of being completely obedient and waiting on the Lord is why the world struggles to see Christians and non-Christians different at times. They hear us talk about our faith in God and so forth. But when the times come and the times get rough, where do we run for our source of strength and encouragement? Do you wait on the Lord? So waiting on the Lord, though, as we've said, it requires surrender, obedience. And as we see from our text here, it talks about the heart. But how do we go about cultivating a heart that seeks after the Lord? Right? Like you you hear this talked about, but what does it look like to develop this heart? How how do we go? Is it? Does it mean I just flip a switch in my heart and all of a sudden I stop wanting everything else in my life and now I want Christ? Like, what does this look like? And some of you may be like hanging on for every word here and I've got something that's super obvious for you. It's to spend time in prayer. And to read the scriptures. You see, and if you find that word to be something that you go, oh, really? It's just the Bible and prayer? Man, don't you have something cooler than that? Can I just encourage you for a minute? There may not be anything cooler. Like the fact that God wrote these words out and speaks to us through them. And the fact that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have direct access to speak to the maker of the universe. And to bring our hearts and our petitions, to have residence in such a way, to speak and to go, Lord, teach me, help me to know you. I don't know that it gets much better than that. I I don't have a cool one-line zinger to give you that's just going to, woo, here we go, seek the Lord. Don't let that be a downer to you. I want to encourage you. May it be that your heart is in such a place that you go, man, that I would long for the word. And you would recognize maybe even today that, 
Man, it's not my natural desire to seek the Lord. And you're right, it's not. Our fallen nature runs from the Lord. We want to be God. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that Christ came seeking us, that we might have a renewed heart that wanted to pursue Christ, that wanted to pursue God. And out of that, watch, I'm going to show you a verse out of 1 Timothy right here, that out of Christ coming to change us, he might give us, even equip us with the ability to wait more on the Lord. Listen to 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 right here. It says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That perfect patience, the development of that, the, the cultivating of that, that waiting on the Lord, that spirit, that comes not because we go, Lord, I've taught myself how to wait in you. No, that's the work of Christ and his Holy Spirit that waits on us. And so that brings us to the third thing, that waiting on the Lord requires a seeking heart. It requires a renewed heart. As people, we're made to move. We're kind of like boats on the sea, right? We've got to be in motion, steering, driving, directing our paths. And, but we find that the man or woman that is waiting on the Lord has a seeking heart that is after the heart of God. Quick question. What is it that your heart seeks after? Like, I mean, let's, let's get real for, for a second here. Like, drop the, in your, in your brain, kind of kick out of church mode just for two seconds. What is it that at the core of who you are right now, you ultimately are seeking after? If you're like me, it may be that you're seeking after, Lord, are you going to keep me safe? Lord, are you going to take care of my family, my kids? Lord, what are you, are you going to provide? And the tendency is to run to seeking after these things. Or it easily can be that we're seeking after, Lord, I just want to be happy. Lord, if you would do this, or if I could have this. And the temptation, it may not even be that you're starting that phrase with Lord, please, but just this is what I'm seeking after. It could be family that you find yourself looking at all the other families other than yours and going, man, that family's got, got it going on. You know, they've got the stuff. They, their family gets to go on trips, vacations, man, all that. that. That's what happiness looks like. Man, if we were just that, Lord, why are you not providing could be that, as we said, that relationship that you're going, man, I'm just waiting on God or I'm just waiting and seeking out a relationship that's going to provide for me, that's going to give me that happiness that's missing. The list goes on, and we know the realities of these things, that they don't bring about the peace that our hearts desire, yet our hearts are constantly tempted just to taste that success and to run and be tempted to leave the Lord. If you wonder, by the way, what is the the desires of your heart? What is it that you're seeking? You can quickly do a test on that. Just asking the question, where is it that you spend your most time either in thinking or doing? Where is it you spend your money? And where is it you give your talents? Out of those things, you can tell a lot of what your heart is seeking after. But what does it look like? And we'll close up going through this here in a minute. 
But what are the things we are to be seeking when we wait on the Lord? What does it look like to wait on the Lord? If we're a people that are seeking, what does it look like to seek the Lord and to wait on Him? Let me just read off a list that just kind of thinking and looking at Scripture this week. Seeking the Lord in prayer and in the Word, here are the things that we can find in that. Seeking the Lord for direction, clarity. Have a seeking heart for God's protection, for the Holy Spirit's presence, for God's will, God's glory, patience, a yielding heart, acceptance of God's will, seeking an obedient heart. Seeking a rock to stand on in the shifting everything. How do I have a firm foundation? Seeking faith, peace, stillness, listening ears, comfort, confidence, assurance, conviction, courage. In all those things, the temptation is to go, but are those, gonna think, those things going to make me feel better? And the reality is you may find that waiting on the Lord is going to be more founded in the facts than it is going to be in the feelings. But listen to the encouragement of Scripture now. I've given you several thoughts here along the way. But I just want to read several Scriptures to us of what Scripture says about waiting on the Lord that hopefully tie in with those things but others. Uh, and as I read through these, as we read through these here... I don't know where you find yourself, but I, I pray even if you're waiting on the Lord for an answer or for patience, endurance, whatever those things, even now you would hear these words from Scripture and just be encouraged. And hear the difference between what it looks like waiting in the Lord and the strength that comes with that versus the things that surround us. Listen, first one, Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Feeling weak, wait on the Lord. They shall mount up wings like eagles, run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lamentations 3, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Isaiah 30, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Exodus 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Psalm 62, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Isaiah 64, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Psalm 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. Proverbs 20, 22, do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Genesis 49, I wait for your salvation. O oh Lord. 
in Psalm 46.10. It's a great place just to end our heart right here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I don't know about you, but when I read through those scriptures of what it says to wait on the Lord, have hope, courage, the strength that comes from that. I don't know where else we could go to find such hope. And there's more good news. You may find yourself in a situation or place in your own life right now that you're going, I don't know if I can hold up any longer and how do I do this on my own? Like there's no way, no one else is going with me through what I'm walking through. How do I do this? And there's good news. And so I'd invite you even now, all right, look around the room real quick. Turn your head sideways, pivot it. Go ahead, look around. Give the awkward look to people around. It's okay. I know it's a little weird. It's like he's really making us do this. It's okay. You got this. All right? Here's the point. God has graciously assembled a support group for people that need to wait on the Lord. And it's called the church. You are meant to wait on the Lord together. We're meant to walk through this together, what it means to hold fast when we want to break and give in. That's why you hear us say it often, but this is why you can't afford not to be in a small group. Like, this is the point right here. Because there's a, in my small group, y'all, there are people that have prayed over me in seasons that in times we're getting texts, sending back and forth. Hey, man, praying for you this week. Sending out requests. Y'all pray for me. Work is tough. Or, hey, I'm needing just, man, faith. Pray that God will give me steadfastness to walk through this season. The seeking heart. Y'all, it's not in us naturally to just go, I'm going to seek the Lord. God has built that around us. Let me just encourage you once again. Find a biblical community of believers at your church in our small groups to be a part of. There's info in the Next Steps area or in the Welcome Center. Find me. Love to get you connected. But understand this, God does not waste a struggle or, or moment where he stretches his children, us as believers, in waiting on him. Waiting on the Lord may never yield the result and reward you are hoping for in this life. Let me say that again. Waiting on the Lord may not yield the result you're hoping for. Scripture doesn't promise us happiness, wealth, prosperity if we seek the Lord. It does promise us Joy, contentment, satisfaction in Christ. No, our hope in the Lord, our blessing is in eternity. Let me say it again, our blessing is in eternity. This earth is not created to serve as heaven. This is our space of passing through to seek the Lord. May it be, we wait on the Lord knowing he holds our hope. Stay faithful, my friends. Look at Saul's poor example. Be totally surrendered. Be obedient. Have a heart that seeks. Cultivate, cultivate that seeking heart. That when those, the times of these answers, God's answers don't make sense, that you would be found faithful. And you would be known as one who waits on the Lord. When no, maybe no one else around you is willing, would you have the ability to say, I wait on the Lord. I will not move until God tells me to move. I'm not going to make worship to, in places that aren't mine. I'm not going to lift up the burnt offering if God said wait because I'm sending someone to do it. May God grant us the ability 
to grow and to wait on him as our Lord and King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you because we have nowhere else to turn. And Father, we are, are prone, or we're prone to run to the things we can see, the things we can feel. And yet, God, it is our need of you. Lord, would you even now impress on our hearts that you are God, that you can be trusted, that your plan is right, and that your desire is that we be about your glory and your will. Make us a church that's obedient, God. Make us more like Christ. Please, Father, forgive us where we fail. Forgive us where we've run after the idols of this world. Lord, forgive us for running to false hopes. Lord, impress even on our lives now. Maybe we've run to those places and yet God, bring us to the place of forgiveness. Bring us to the place of repentance that says, God, I'm sorry. I desire that you would be God. I surrender myself, seek obedience, and desire to seek after you. Oh, Lord Jesus, make us more like your son, we pray. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. If you will, let's stand together and worship the Lord.